Welcome, movie lovers, to Anatomy of Movie. Today, we dissect The Great Wall. That's right, the Matt Damon movie uh, that's riddled with controversy, but we're here to tell you why it's not so bad. Stay tuned. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. We have Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And uh, I'm Phil Svitek. Welcome. And uh, for those of you joining us for the very first time, um, it's a pleasure to have you. Understand that the discussion is very spoiler-filled. We assume that you've seen the movie. Um, So, yeah, you have been warned. Warned. Warned, indeed. And as always, we start with uh, overall impressions. So why don't we kick it off with... Marissa, ladies first. <laughs> I enjoyed this film. You know, I went into it with really a, a suspended disbelief. Like, I knew that it was going to be monsters. It's going to be kind of supernatural. It's going to be fun and a lot of action. Especially, all I really saw was the trailer, or like the teaser trailer, mm-hmm. um, for the longest time. And then I think it was about a week before I actually went to go see this in theaters. I saw the full-length film. And um, or the full-length trailer. And I was like, okay, now this is a movie I want to see. And I went into it, and it was fun. And I thought it was a really good uh, movie. There was action. There was humor, a lot more humor than I was expecting. There was, you know, a big spectacle of monsters and a battle. It was, it was just a fun movie. And then I walked out, and I was like, I left on a good note. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, this is not a movie without its flaws. It, and, and some of them are, to me, they were sort of kind of glaring. Like, you know, you set up this big mountain, this greenish glowing mountain that has this big crack in it that every 60 years these creatures come out of this the, the, this hole in the ground uh, in a huge sprawl and eat everything in sight. And I'm like, well, you got 60 years and you have gunpowder. Why don't you just seal that crack that to me was a big glaring thing. Like instead of preparing for battle, just blow up the mountain. Okay, um, but even with its flaws, the movie looked spectacular, and it was a fun movie. It was a good movie, and there's nothing wrong with being a good movie. Uh, I want to get into it more when we start talking about reaction and Rotten Tomatoes because I felt that this was a better movie than the Rotten Tomatoes thirty-five yeah. percent would have suggested. Okay. But this is happening a lot lately. Um, You know, I think that, you know, it was fun to watch uh, Matt Damon, although I think at times I I would have liked to have seen him have a little more fun, other than he was very stoic through a lot of the movie. He's very Matt Damon. (laughs) Well, but he can have fun. Like, I see him on Jimmy Kimmel, and I see him in other things. He can have fun. He doesn't have to be like Jason Bornish. Like when he was smiling in this movie, it looked like he was having a good time. I wanted to see a little bit more have a good time because uh, Pedro Pascal looked like he was having a good time. I liked watching him, and I think the pairing of the two were good. Uh, For me, um, I really love this Tian Jing. I I hope I'm pronouncing it that correctly. To me, she was a bright spot. I'd never seen her before. she played the action off really great. I thought that she really lent, uh, like, to me, she sort of reminded me a bit of, like, wow, she'd be a great Mulan. She was fantastic. <laughs> um, so I really, you know, and she was just a fresh face. 
Um, so I really enjoyed that. So, you know, ultimately the movie is good. It's a good watch. Uh, I saw this in uh, 3D. And it looked fantastic in 3D. It was totally epic in scope, and you know, it, it was good. It's it's you know, it's definitely not the 35 percent that Rotten Tomatoes would suggest. I think it's a much better time than that. Yeah, what I like, it's a quick movie. You know, it doesn't overstay its welcome. No, uh, I, I think there's enough action set pieces, enough action set pieces that you know that we haven't quite necessarily seen too often. You know. I think it was fresh enough, yet with uh, grounded enough uh, of somewhat of genre tropes. And I would say the biggest problem why it's having these sort of things is, is because of the marketing. Like, the, the initial teaser that came out was, I think, what threw most people off, and then they couldn't get it out of their minds of what this movie was going to be. Because everything was realistic. Everyone's saying this movie's whitewashed. <laughs> it's not at all. It just happens to have a, one of the characters... There are three of the characters, technically, that are white. Yeah, and, you know, to that point, since you bring it up, and again, and I think this is our social media society, as soon as we have a movie called The Great Wall, and you're right about the teaser, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say much, right? So mm-hmm. the teaser and the, the title, The Great Wall, I think the automatic assumption is this movie is going to be about the making of The Great Wall mm-hmm. or something to that effect. And as soon as you see Matt Damon in it, it's like, He's not Chinese. He's whitewashing. I was like, whoa, 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 wait. We don't even know what this movie's about. And then when you find out that he's like a Western, you know, mercenary, you're like going, yeah, he's supposed to be. He's not supposed to be Chinese. What's the whitewashing? He's yeah. not supposed to be Asian in the first place. Guys, you got to calm the fuck down. Sure, like, okay. stop jumping like to conclusions, unless that's the only exercise you're getting, and yeah. that's a major thing that happened. People jump to conclusions on this movie without really knowing what this movie was about, yeah. and that you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I will say I would have, you know, let's just we're there, so let's just talk marketing real fast, and then we'll backtrack. I promise. Uh, I would have liked to see, you know, uh, as, as, as big a star as Matt Damon is. I think the movie could have sold itself in terms of what it was. Sure. You know, you didn't need to beat me over the head that Matt Damon's in this movie. Just just show me what the premise is, and then, boom, showcase that, oh, wow, Matt Damon is introduced into this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and I'll say, being an t- obvious token Asian here in the, in the oh, room. Oh, you're not the token Asian. Um, <laughs> but it's weird. I have to address this. I didn't yeah. think whitewashing at all in this film because I was reading, you know, other people's reviews and how they were so angry that this was whitewashed. I don't think so at, at all because even Mac Damon's character, he he wasn't, like, sent there to save everybody. He just happened to be there by happenstance and got thrown into the mix. So it's not even his storyline was supposed to be, I'm here to save save you all, you know? So I didn't Christ. see it in that approach. Well, and even the, the his, his partner part- that he was against, he's... Uh, Spaniard, and we had a strong female protagonist in this film who is Asian. You know, it was like, yeah, there's a white male who might be a protagonist, but the whole cast is not all Caucasian. You have Asian. Literally, this is one of the first films that's actually outnumbered by Asians. So <laughs> I don't get why people are calling it whitewashed. Uh, it's no, it's silliness. Well, uh, they they also say that oh, it has to be a white person that saves all the Asians. Like no, no, he's no. one of many that no. helps save right the world, not and, just China. And so, let me throw out a couple of facts. 
This is the biggest movie ever made in China, $135 million budget. It had a, over 100 translators on set. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you know, and whatever else, it was backed by basically the government of China to, to be made. So where is this not in in love of China? Yeah, no, I, I get it. And, and, and we'll go into more of the, like the making and the collaborative effort involved. But again, you mentioned this, this Tianjing who plays the female heroine of this movie, stands her, stands on her own. She's she's not like, you know, she's not a princess complex. She doesn't need necessarily need to be saved. She can go out and do the, you know, she takes charge in even something uh, like the balloon scene where that was just like, they didn't even know if it was, they were going to take off or not. And she was really very, she was very well drawn out. Um, and I like the relationship that, 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 she had had uh, with 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 Damon's character, um, you know. To say it's he's a Western, but even look at it this way: the, the, the fact that right, the magnetic piece of rock, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Damon didn't figure that out. It was the no. strategist. Yeah, I know that's people consider that a smaller sort of revelation. But guess what? That's a huge piece of the movie. It that, is <laughs> in order to defeat the damn monsters. Yeah, yeah, and like if you think about it, if you want to think of another Caucasian person who's in the film, maybe Willem Dafoe. But even he's not a protagonist. He's a villain. And if anything, he's fleeing away from the. He's he's not there to save. He's there to run. So right. Again, I don't see where the whitewashing is coming from. Yeah, People to just me, have to get their head out of their asses. It was agreed. It was a silly, uh, quick-to-judge, snap judgment on the movie because people didn't know what it was about. They just assumed that it was it was about the Great Wall. It, yeah. This movie isn't about the Great Wall per se. It is actually based, and this I found the really cool, it's actually based on legend about various things that... You know, there's a lot of Chinese legend about the Great Wall. We knew the real reason why it was built and such, but even the movie goes out to say, you know, there are many stories about the Great Wall. Some are true, some are legend. This is a legend. Mm-hmm. The movie comes right out and basically says, this is fantasy. We know it's a legend. Uh, and I found that to be really cool. So it's a... It's another universe where... Remember, heroes never die. Legends live forever. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and when reporting truth or legend, always go with the legend. (laughs) So so right off the top, the movie tells you this is going to be a fantasy-type movie, and it's a good ride despite its flaws. You have a good time. If it were a bad movie, the flaws would stick out a hell of a lot more. As they usually do if you're watching a, you know, a, a craptacular. This movie was not that. And it wasn't whitewashed. It was, it was a wonderful balance. And I loved seeing this fresh face cast of people. Yeah, it was, yeah, I thought it was, it was fun. It's a good movie. Yeah, and I, I thought it would just be nonstop action throughout. Because <clears throat> as soon as the first seat sort of came in, and it came that fast, I was like, oh, how are we going to get out of this one? We're just going to fight from now till the end of the movie and it's going to be it's going to become boring but no they 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 had various they they had nice moments of humanity you know and questioning okay you know do you go with the powder the black powder do you not how do you defeat this evil that that because basically by the black powder represents the greed in its actual form uh so so i i like those various themes throughout the whole movie and you know what to your point yeah this is not a legend i've heard of i like fantasy and as much as I love Beauty and the Beast and all these other things, 
yeah, sometimes I want something that I've never seen that's equally as beautiful that I've just never been exposed to, and this is one way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but, it doesn't have to be... I think it's a masterpiece in a different way, but... I was I was impressed by the fact that the Tao Te, the monsters in this movie, are actually Chinese legend. Like, they're actual Asian Chinese monsters that are folklore, and, and, and I was like, oh, okay, I had no idea. I thought this was... The mere fact that it was rooted deeply into Chinese legend and folklore impressed me more than anything else because if you are if you watch this movie and it and after watching our show you realize that these things that it's based on are true you know stories like Greek mythology perhaps it'll inspire you to read more about them like where their origins came from I think it was great how they blended that in so this is like Chinese mythology in a sense and that to me was exciting that they blended it into this, into this movie, which had reality based, um, but none of our heroes, none of like our soldiers, were steeped in the supernatural. Like no. they were yeah. real people. They didn't have wizardry powers. They were soldiers. They had to fight along this the, the, this craziness that was but, going on. But that's what I liked about this film because yeah it's rooted in the, you know the legend but it's really what they all did when the legend was exposed to them mm-hmm. like, like they all came together they fought together and you know it, this was a bigger growing issue that they all just attacked as a, like one unit and that's what I enjoyed because you know it brought in and I think it showed the Asian community in a great light because it shows that they banded together to, through times of adversity sure absolutely mm-hmm and for anyone wondering, by the way, the Great Wall was built in chunks over seventeen, uh, over anything between fifteen and twenty-year periods by each sort of dynasty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it did not just take uh, seventeen hundred years. And 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 I believe it's still one of the only things that can be seen from space. <laughs> I don't know if I believe. Here's the thing: it's not that it's not long enough. It's it's thin. I don't know. I don't Depends know. how far it's you are. It's pretty big, but. How fat is it? I mean, it's not like, I don't know. I Just, just Google Great Wall from Space. Well, people at the ISS <laughs> International Space System can see it, so I don't there know. you go. The people are questioning if we landed on the moon. I think they so saw like... it in the movie Gravity, too, and so if they said that they could see it, so it's got to be from space. Yeah, because Gravity was the in most space. realistic film ever. In yeah, space. To be fair, yeah. it was. It was, so there you go. Um, all right, so why don't we backtrack a bit, and uh, let's talk about the... I guess conception of it, or rather development. Um, and Marissa, I know you in particular have a lot on this, so why don't you kick us off, and then we'll fill, fill in the holes as necessary. Yeah, the film originally came from you know legendary CEO Thomas Tull, who conceived actually World War Z, and um, with the the writer Max Brooks um, for for that film. Uh, but yeah, Hong Kong property. Div- development company actually pulled out the last minute for this film but since then you know they quietly kind of put it back together and with the former CAA boss Peter Lore and um, you know his long-term investors and the China film group got partnered with this film and helped you know finance it and you know it just it kind of slowly came together because it, it obviously it got backing from China and um, you know, American, American huge, well. yeah. And Thomas Tull, he's a movie monster lover. I mean, this is the guy that's, uh, well, he brought us Godzilla Pacific Rim, which is a legendary film. I believe uh, the Kong movie is in part legendary. <clears throat> he likes his monster movies. Um, 
you know, so this is right up his alley, and he had fascination about the Great Wall as well. So yeah, you know, this is something that's been gestating for for, for some you know for some for some time, and, and you know, it's it's um. It's one of those things when this kind of a project uh, gets put together finally, um, you know, getting Matt Damon on board, getting the direct, getting the right director on board, which I think he was the right director for this project too. Yeah, I mean, he's a legend in uh, in, in in Chinese culture. Absolutely. Yeah, he's big in China. Um, yeah, and and I think that with his, you know, with the talent involved, they put together a very colorful, stylistic, yet not overly flared, good action movie that had a good pace to it. And it was a good monster movie. Although, you know, the monsters were unique in their way, although somewhat reminiscent maybe of some of the monsters that we might have seen in, say, Pitch Black or something, but or, or even to an extent Avatar. But still they had, you know, they had this unique hordish quality uh, anytime anybody mentions a queen, I always either think board queen or I think alien queen. But I yeah. like the scene with the queen and and yeah. how they were protected. I guess the one thing that if somebody wants to point a finger, there wasn't a there wasn't a big monster. Like there wasn't a like this huge almost like calm, a super monster, right, 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 right. like a kaiju that was huge. Independence Day two. Had a giant queen. We I don't think we need to see that again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I appreciated that it wasn't. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and speak, you know, the, to that notion. I mean, they put a lot into this, right? Weta Workshop, who did Lord right. of the Rings. They did, they did work for this, um, as well as ILM. Yeah. So you know, those are some heavy hitters in the in the industry. Yeah, and Zhang Yimou, this is a guy that did Heroes. You know, I mean, he's. He's a visionary. He's a legendary Asian director who has a sense of, uh, well, he, he makes things look great. Well, and also, like, he knows the culture, and he also directed the, the Beijing-China um, Olympic opening, and right. which was, like, historical. If anyone didn't see that, go back right. and watch it, because it's phenomenal. Absolutely. Um, so, like, he, he really uh is well versed in Chinese culture but like he can really showcase it in a positive light. Yeah. And it's a big spectacle that's just amazing to watch. Yeah, absolutely and, and you know that's that's a big component of this movie. I mean when we're first what what's nice about it um at least for me because Matt Damon is the outsider, I like him I'm an outsider and so I'm watching this and you know, much to much to his quote. You know, I've never seen anything like this. Yeah, I've never seen anything like the movement of all those troops and how they did. And, and that first opening battle really set a tone in the most beautiful way. It was so coordinated. You know, we did get to see every faction of the battle. You know, and again, the 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 Cirque du Soleil spear thing looks beautiful. But when you think about it, it's like. There's an inherent problem with this. <laughs> you get that, right? Like it looks great, but you're gonna lose a lot Seriously of people. Flawed. And like, yeah, it was a little bit of a flawed attack plan, but I love the way that it looked on screen. It was good, but I've never how, seen notice, it before. Notice how they were sacrificing the women for that role. Yeah. I know that I watched that. One, that. I was like, that kind of sucks, but it makes the women look good. But also, you're killing them way faster than the men. Yeah, um, it, it was. 
It yeah. was funny, especially like the shot where the when the metallic ring came back when one of the women died and they just threw it onto the pile. I was like, oh, these right. are all the women that just died yeah. right now. I'm like, it's oh, like spearfishing for great whites <laughs> off of a platform. It just, it's like, it yeah, looks pretty. Look great. It's not yeah. effective. It's not effective whatsoever. Yeah. So again, that's one of the flaws of the film that you can point at, but you can't take away from the way that the, the scene looked and for the benefit of having never been seen before. Yeah. As an attack plan, um, it looked it, the way that it was filmed was great. Yeah. You know, so absolutely. Um, what you know in terms of so I, I guess let's talk about William, who, played by Matt Damon, because his if his character doesn't work, which um, if you give it a shot, I think it does work. Um, you know, what did you guys take him for? Because he he's ha- he's struggling with that moral compass of you know does he. Does he just take the black powder and leave and just say, screw this? Or does he actually help them and at what cost to him and so forth? I liked how his character kind of had an arc throughout this film. At the beginning, he's obviously greedy and he only fights for himself and kind of selfish in that way. But then when he's thrown into the battle of everything, he sees how it's affecting all the people who are working together on the wall. I I liked how that triggered his humanity within him and realizing, oh, you know, we've just been fighting for ourselves but we should fight for other people we should help them and like he he had that slow arc and even at the end you know um he kind of not to jump ahead but he had that maturing growth moment and came back and that's where he kind of i don't want to say come in and save the day but like his character grew to help save the day (laughs) yeah I, i think the character himself the way that i looked at him was he is a mercenary he pretty much got a sense of that. But he's a great strategist, and he's a great warrior. Um, it's one of the things that grabbed the attention of... of um, the general. Well, the general, like, what, what was the name of the entire army? Um, nameless Order. The, the Nameless Order. So, you know, he's, he's a great strategist, number one. Uh, he knows how to fight. I don't think he's definitely doing it all just for himself. He knows that he needs people to help him to obtain ABC goals. Um, <clears throat> but he's also weathered enough to know that there are going to be losses. Um, and yes, he's trying to fight for himself so that he can survive. But he doesn't give up the fight, even though his numbers at the beginning of the movie, his crew was dwindling. You know, he would still say, well, let's go up in those ridges and we'll fight them from there. Like, there was always fight in his character. I think by coming onto the wall, he realized that there are bigger things, <laughs> uh, metaphorically and, like, you know, literally, there are bigger things that, that, that one has to fight uh, in order to survive in this world. And um, th- that's what I really liked about his arc. Um, not just doing it for the black powder. You know, there are... Look at this, because what happens if we get the black powder? And I like... A lot of this movie, you pick up information via dialogue, and there was this mm-hmm. great scene with um, that he had with Pablo, his his cohort, where, where he said, look, I know who you are. I've seen you, like, you're a thief, and I've seen you kill. How do you live with that? Like, now is the time you're going to pick the change? And that one piece of dialogue really got a good sense of his character. And yet with the another piece of dialogue that you got from the um from the female general there she was like saying well i wish you never saw that black powder because it represents this is what it represents so black powder could have been gold 
you know, it could have been some. So, and and black powder or gunpowder did change the course of history. Well, it, it, for is, many. it did. Um, you know, it's sort of true to history. I mean, I, if you're, it was sort of they estimate invented in eighteen hundred, um, or sorry, eight hundred, eight hundred, <laughs> um, and so by approximation, they're saying this this the year of this movie would have been nine sixty, give or take based on things. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's it's true to, to history, at least in that regard. Um, so I'm glad what, because gold's sort of the easy version of it, but, you know, for a mercenary, right, what they would be looking for is more, not necessarily gold, but but black powder. Sure. So, you know, it's, um, <clears throat> going back to your point, it's not that there's not a supernatural element, but from their perspective, right, I mean, think about black powder, like, that is supernatural to them. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know the science behind it now, but, Imagine being there, like, oh, yeah, look at that. and what it can yeah. do for a projectile, or well, well, what I enjoyed is that even like the black powder was kind of a character too, because at the beginning it was something to steal, but at the end of the film it was something that I was actually useful, um, you know, if used properly, right. um, and I think it it could have it's a thing that could have been used for good or evil, mm-hmm. so, just yeah. like yeah. most things, yeah, yeah. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, you know, in terms of Matt Damon, he spent a lot of time on this movie. Uh, he routed his whole family to live with him for all pretty much six months while he did the movie. Yeah, yeah for half of a year, which that's, is a good amount of time. That's so, a nice family vacation, though. Yeah. Yeah. Worst places to be. Did you? Yeah. You trust, yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, worst places to be. You know, I find it interesting because uh, Zhang, or Zhang Dao, as he was addressed on the set in his native man, Mandarin, um, Always appreciated Matt Damon, a big fan of his movies. Um, and he confesses that when he did this movie called Flowers of War, he had reached out to Matt Damon to be in the movie. He thought it would be perfect of it, um, and it didn't work out. So, so many years later, when he heard that Matt was on board for this, he was he was thrilled to death because they finally get to work together with this guy. And again, I think the collaboration between East and West in this movie... You can feel it, and you can feel that there's a pride from both sides. Yeah, they want to make a good product. Yeah, they want to yeah. make a good product. Um, and, and, and I really appreciate it. You know, I really get that. And when you hear, like, because Matt Damon, his involvement in the film was because this guy was directing. <laughs> he goes, I had heard that he was directing the movie. I had to be a part of this. I wanted to be a part of this because I believe he's such a visionary type of... Uh, you know, a, a vision, a director of vision and style, and a good storyteller. Uh, like this is the perfect collaboration. So, absolutely. Yeah, I really, uh, I really enjoyed that a lot. Yeah. And another thing that came up too is that he appreciated Zhang. Okay, he appreciated Matt's appreciation for film. Like mm-hmm. he's been doing this. He knows he's an Academy Award. Writer, and he would ask him, he would ask him, like, what do you think of this line? What would you say here? I do not speak English, and the lines are written by Hollywood writers, so I wanted to know what he thought. And he knows the character breasts, and he always came up with brilliant suggestions. Again, I appreciate that. It always, <laughs> when I had read about that, it just took me right back to the accountant, mm-hmm. where the director of that movie had to sit Ben Affleck down and say, there's only room in this set for one director. Like, like this is a great director who's going to an actor who he knows has experience and says, "What do you think of this?" 
Is this okay? Like, that to me is a good collaborative process. And that means his ego is checked at the door, and they just want to do a good movie. I, I, I respected that from him. Yeah, because mm-hmm. here's the thing. I don't, I don't think Matt Damon was going to go up to him and be like, hey, you should move the crane this way. Right. Like, no, he's, he's got that part of it, but in terms of what said, yeah, you can ask Matt Damon. Yeah. Sure. So I, I, I you but know, I don't I, even think Matt Damon would have been such a jerk to go. Uh, nah, yeah, but excuse me. I think I should do this instead. Like, I, he would have. I think he showed up to work, <laughs> and 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 just because the director allowed him or offered or volunteered to say, "Hey, Matt, what do you think about this?" Like, I know this is the way it's written. How do you feel about it? I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So. I think I. I, I, I I agree because to me that's just a good general way to get most out of your people. You know, if you can engage them rather than just them being, you know, button pushers or just like people that just clock in. Sure. It becomes a little bit different. Yeah. It's really just like an artist appreciating another artist's work. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Using it. If you have the talent, use it. Um, That's good. So let's talk about Commander Lin because, as as you mentioned, uh, she had a huge on screen presence. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, I, I've never certainly seen her before, but, you know, I was just captivated by her. Me too. Oh, yeah, same. Um, I loved her. She was fun to watch, and she, she had her moments of humanity where she questioned, um, rightfully so, she questioned the new mercenaries coming in, but, like, when she was put into that leadership role, she took it, you know, and she she ran with it, and I I really enjoyed that. And not once did I ever question her her motivation behind it, and, and I felt like she really wanted to protect her people, but also exert her authority when needed. Um, she was great. Yeah, and I think they did a great job, like in her casting, because she was she was still feminine, you know, and and she had strong these strong feminine qualities, but at the same time, she's still beautiful. You know, she's very striking, and that's why I think anytime she came on screen, my attention was like, "Wow, there's just something about her." Could have been because it's a fresh face, but I thought she was—I thought she handled her English very well, and apparently she auditioned very, very early on, and it was said that her English wasn't so hot, but she was ambitious enough to already had hired a teacher who was, she was spending twelve hours a day, unbeknownst to the production staff. With a tutor to work on her speech. I think that that's, like, amazing. And again, I say, there was a time in Hollywood, and I think it still still happens this way, but when you're looking for actresses on a project, like, somebody would go, oh, you should see this movie. I thought that this is a really cool actor or actress or actor. I think that anybody who's, like, producing and looking for a good female lead character who's going to look different and look at this movie and see her performance and see what she put into it. Well, the you know, she's a fresh face. Uh, she's going to literally be in Kong Sky, uh, Skull Island coming out in a matter of two weeks. Good for her. Um, that's her. She's in the trailer. She's in the trailer. That's right. That and Pacific is her. Right, that's her. Wow, my mind yeah. is blown. And Pacific Rim Uprising. So both, she, both legendary movies. And so, both big, but, yeah. probably going to be big in China. So, so, um, so she's in that. So, so she's starting to, to sort of hit her stride. She's only twenty eight, so she's got a lot yeah. of years to go. Good for which her. Which is great. That's what I say. But, Good for her. And again, I think take her out of some, you know, give her a chance. 
Like, give these young, give her a chance, because I think she could probably handle dramatic as well as, she can obviously handle action. Like, there was nothing about her that made me doubt that she couldn't handle that spear or whatever. So, it'll be great to see her in these upcoming movies. Um, so, and good for her, as you said. Yeah. Uh, you know, she was a fresh face in this movie, and I think, you know, you handle yourself very well. You can also tell when, you, when you're going up a big star. Matt Damon is a star, okay? And he doesn't chew up the scenery, so it's all about him. He allows his other actors to have their scenes, and she played great uh, opposite him, I, I felt. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. And um, I'm also glad that they didn't have that typical romance. You know, there was chemistry there, but it didn't end in the typical, okay, great, he's going to stay, they're going to kiss, and, you know, that's... Yeah. It, it, it was great. They, they had a mutual respect for each other, and whatever was there, they'll hold on to that, but they're parting ways. I, got, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. I thought that, too. I'm like, I'm so glad there wasn't a romantic storyline in this movie with anybody, really, because the, the main thing is the fighting and taking out these, you know, these monsters. Like, that was the main focus, and yeah. I, I think any romantic storyline, as much as I'm a fan of romance, any romantic storyline in this film would just detract from everything else going I, on. I don't disagree, but at the very end, when he's looking back up, and, and uh, he was being asked, like, so, what are you going to do? I was, like, thinking, he's going to come back. Well, that's the great wall, too. <laughs> that's the great, he's going to come back. I go, you, next, you don't, next you 60 don't, years. You don't let that character get away. Like, you know, and, and again, because I think it gave him such purpose, you know, that he walks away in it with an arc, you know. I'm just like, oh, he'll, he'll come back. Um, interestingly uh, enough, uh, the actor who played the strategist, Andy Lau, uh, he played the same character that, that Matt Damon did. And so, in, in, Internal Affairs, which is the Chinese version of The Departed, the Departed. they basically play the same character. Uh, um, I doubt that they talked about that much, but... You don't know. <laughs> Maybe they did. Yeah. Maybe the same acting range, then. Yeah. Um, but I just, cool. I just found that as an interesting fact. You know? Um, and I thought the strategy was wait, great. Wasn't it? It's, it's Infernal Affairs. Infernal. Infernal Affairs <laughs> is the, yeah, the Asian version which Departed was based off of that and Whitey Bulger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I also have to put like as much as Willem Dafoe and, and um, Pedro were great. Uh, I thought this, to me, I like I like the strategist because he, he just gave something different. Uh, you know, and I, I've seen enough movies and TV shows where I don't know. There's the there's the seer and can kind of see various things, but I just like that he was just a strategist instead of being this like a wisely old a wise old man who could see into the future and like predict things. It was just yeah, okay, we're gonna figure this out through somewhat science, if you want yeah. to call it that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I appreciate him. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I thought so as well. Um, but I did think, though, too, that, 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 that Pascal was... I thought Pedro Pascal was a lot of fun in this movie, too. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, he was. You know, and, and Definitely comedic character. Absolutely. And he was... Um, I guess this is important because this movie reminded me... You know, it did remind me a little bit of a of Game of Thrones. There were parts that actually reminded me a little bit of World War Z with the way that the, the monsters were climbing on top of each other to scale the wall and then they'd fall backwards and such. And then when you look at Max Brooks, Pedro Pascal, who was Oberyn in, in Game of Thrones, and I believe Raymond uh, Dejuati did the music for this. It had that grand Game of Thrones. So I was like, okay, I get it. Um, 
but he was really funny. What I liked about him is that he actually wrote a letter as a younger person to to Zhang because he had seen one of his movies with his dad. And he had written him a letter about Chinese cinema, and he got really hooked into Chinese cinema. And so the mirror, it's like one of those things where things come full circle, and I was actually working with him and collaborating with him. It was a dream of his to work with him, much as the director, it was a dream of his to work with Matt Damon. And uh, they said that he was the first choice, like, when they were doing this. Um, so, you know, and I think it worked, and, and he was a good comic relief Um too. You know, well, you mentioned Willem Dafoe. It could have been anybody. Yeah, well, it was supposed role. to. Brian Cranston was sort of cast for that role, but then he couldn't do it. Um, I don't know. I, Willem Dafoe just has such a unique face, and he, he's sort of known for being the villain. I don't know. There's just something about his face that you just don't trust. Sorry, he, Willem. Yeah, he gets typecasted as like the evil villain or the, the one too um, enigmatic, really. Like, you, you can't trust him. Honestly... Except in John Wick. He actually played his buddy. Um, That's true. But honestly, like, if you take Willem Dafoe, his character out, I don't think it would change the movie. Like, I... He uh, might have had moments that he explained the, the black powder, but other than that, I think he could have given those lines to someone else. But well, I, I don't com- mean to sound mean, but you could take Willem Dafoe out of this film and you would be take, fine. Well, then Commander Lin never learns English. No, but but I, 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 get, I, get I think what you might were you saying the character he wasn't or the actor? As, you know, no, the the character more so. Oh, uh, so yeah. I, I think the character wasn't as memorable. As it could have been, That's, like to me, the character, in, in, to an extent, was sort of necessary, but it was so subsidiary that almost anybody could have played it. Mm-hmm. I understand why Willem Dafoe would have jumped at the opportunity to work with the director, and this looks mm-hmm. like a grand experience. So I understand, and of no fault of his, I just don't think that there was much to the character other than he was a greedy bad guy and. Like, wow, you needed two other, you know, 25 years, and you're just waiting, like, you For you other people to help you get to, out. For other people to help you get yeah. out. Like, you couldn't have concocted. Like, you had all this planned out. You probably could have done it on your own. He knew where all the exits <laughs> so, yeah. were. He knew the time of the guards when they switched. I was like, nah, I don't believe that you needed two other guys to help well, you build. So to be fair, it was also... That he, he could he, carry more gunpowder? He could carry more gunpowder, but it also, you know... Before then, the army wasn't distracted. Or we don't know quite what they were doing, but right now they're battling the forces of evil mm-hmm. that are about to destroy the world. They're a little bit preoccupied, whereas before, maybe they weren't. Yeah. So I, I buy into that. That is. I mean, you know. I, I think like there could have been more to his character to make it a little bit more interesting. Yeah, he, he taught Commander Lin English, but not once did we ever really see those two alone together in the same room where you can maybe think maybe he was the surrogate father to, towards her and like she respected him oh, I didn't him need him to be a surrogate father. No, but I the thing is, to... like, even his character at the end of the film, like he didn't really end up being a good guy. Had yeah. he had a character arc, I would have liked him. More. Yeah, again, I didn't need his character to, to have an arc. However... Just expanding on what you were saying, it would have been, he would have been, that character might have been better utilized had he been an interpreter. Had he been, like, in the battle rooms or the strategy rooms and maybe interpreting certain things, then you go, oh, okay, he's an interpreter. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason why he's there, and... 
you know, now that he sees two other people, you know, Westerners coming in, maybe that's his chance to, 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 to get out. But there was a... If they had shown that there was a usefulness for his character to be there, like you said, we never see him teaching English. Mm-hmm. But if he was in there and he's interpreting English, then I'm like, oh, okay, I get it. He's That's he why he's use. there. That There's yeah. a use for him other than just being... You know, the third banana bad guy. uh, I don't don't look too far into it. I mean, if there's anything, unlike us who treat our prisoners like assholes sometimes, you know, they treated him pretty well. Sure. So that's what I'll take away from it. I don't know. I I didn't care. (laughs) Probably really good food, too. 25 years. He was fine. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's what I take out of it. Um, Any other actors that you guys want to touch upon or characters? Uh, obviously, all, all of them I thought um, were great. The 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 young kid, uh, oh, the yeah, one who helped him, uh, yeah, uh, Lu Han, I believe, yeah. the, in the Bear Troop. Yeah, so, um, I think that's who he is. I like him because he even had an arc. He had an arc, and I like that character. Um, and again, I think that character is integral because that's somebody that like Matt Damon looked upon him and said, "Hey." This kid could stand up and fight. Like he was looking at him, going, "You know, this is a kid I could probably take with me. Like I, I would have him in my clan if I had the opportunity to." Yeah, braver than you think. He's braver than you think. And when he sees him getting pushed around, he's like, "That that's stupid." Like you know. And I liked the kinship that they shared, and said, "Yeah, you know, leave him alone. He's he's a lot braver than you think." And then we see his bravery, you know, with the ultimate sacrifice. But I like that character. You know, you could say he was a red shirt. You know, he's going to be disposable or whatever. But I just sort of liked the bond that he had with 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 Damon's character, and the fact that he, you know, his bravery not only comes in the last piece, but the fact that he stood up against his own people and said, hey, no, I, I saw him. He was trying to prevent this. I mean, that, that's a, you know, that's a big order. And he still got beat up for it. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was brave and yeah. bold because, like, even him at the beginning taking care of the prisoners and then, like, letting them go and right. then defending them and then ultimately saving him. His character had a full arc. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed him. Yeah, I liked him, too. I, I, I liked him. You know, usually... They can be overly sympathetic or whatever, but it, you got it. It made sense. I like that character. Yeah, so. he was a lot of fun. And then mm-hmm. um, I think I, I I liked what they did with the original uh, general and Commander Lin. Yeah, I, I thought that was very sweet, almost like a father daughter. But you know, at no point is it stated that they are father daughter. Um, but I, I appreciate that his first when when he dies, it's a very tragic scene, and then he just, just that's it. You're it. Mm-hmm. No questions asked. Yeah, I liked it. I, I, I think it was great to show you know that that mutual respect for each other, and yep. uh, from one authority figure to another, and passing literally passing on the torch and um, obligations. And I I loved how immediate it happened because like you are now commander of everything everyone listened to her and no one questioned it Mm -hmm. and i maybe from the feminist perspective but like i enjoyed how the the role that leadership authority got passed on to a woman yep and everyone's following a woman yep taking and it wasn't questioned yep yeah no i appreciated that very much you know it wasn't lost on me 
seeing that, that she might have been being groomed for that. Everybody respected her regardless. Everybody yeah. said, you know, even even um, Pascal's character, like, you gotta watch, she's one of the most powerful people here. I believe it was his character that said that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was. and But she carried it with a... As an actress, she gave that character a grace and dignity and power where it wasn't abusive at mm-hmm. all. And I really, again... I say, this is a really good example where a female character has a position of power, but isn't, but doesn't abuse the power, exactly, and does it with a style, grace, and a dignity, and and, and beauty. So she has it all. The relationship sort of kind of reminded me of, speaking of monster movies, a little bit of Pacific Rim between mm-hmm. Idris Elba's character in that movie and Reiko, um, you know, another. Yeah. Very talented Asian actress because he became her surrogate father and she became a woman in power within that 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 kaiju camp within making the uh, the, the, the the what do they call the, the the robots that would fight them or, the, or those vehicles. Um, it sort of kind of reminded me of that because I got that fatherly figure from the general in, in this character here, and and uh, I did appreciate that it wasn't questioned. Mm-hmm. Everybody believed in her authority. And, the, and, and they would follow her. Yep. So. Loyal. Indeed. Um, I want to move on to cinematography. <clears throat> because um, I thought just the way it was shot in general was absolutely uh, breathtaking. And also just in, obviously, the, well, not perhaps not obviously, but they couldn't use the real Great Wall. So right. they built, uh, as I understand, three sections of the, of the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. Um and it, I mean, to me, it looked fantastic. It looked absolutely real, and, it, and it's great because then you can control how it sort of looks. You can, you know, you can break lighting and camera where you need it to go. Um, so it, I'm sure ultimately gave them a lot more freedom to to be able to do what they needed to do. Yeah, and it also just because this is again, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. With they also played with just the structure of the Great Wall. That the fact that some walls can recede and open up hidden passageways and stuff like that like and that like blades can grow through i thought it was a cool kind of modernized version of the great wall okay the scissor yeah the scissor that, blade. that was awesome like, no. again i've never ex- seen that before i'm like that's cool you wouldn't expect that in the great <laughs> no. wall so like no. i think that's what the film did in a good way showing in like and i wasn't bothered at it no. whatsoever i was like yeah that's fun it sure. brought life Why it not? made it made the wall organic yeah and um i really liked it now the great wall set itself was a square kilometer that's pretty big. That, that, that's totally. pretty big. And they were harking. They literally wanted to. Yes, there was a lot of green screen done, but for these practical sets, they wanted to hark back to like the fifties and sixties to these golden era of epics. And when you're having the money to do that in China, is behind this. I mean, I sort of got that sense of when they were on a quote unquote set that they weren't hanging from like a green screen. So to speak. Now I know that they used it. I know that they used a lot of green screen to to add depth and length, and you know you see the Great Wall going on for miles and miles. But when you're on the set and they're fighting from the set, like that looked real to me. And that's a pretty damn big set, like you said. That's it's huge. It's big. Well, here's the thing: you're going to be spending a lot of time on that set. 
Might as well make, make it worthwhile. Yeah, and, and they found that there aren't any surviving segments of the wall from the 12th century. <laughs> so for them, they go, we had a little latitude. We went to many different parts of the wall built over years, took photographs, images of the little details. Right away, we wanted to use more gray stone than brown. We made that choice because the colors of the nameless order the purples, the blues, the golds, the reds they wear would stand out so beautifully against black and white as opposed to brown and white. So I get that. Like, so if you're going to nitpick, if you're going to be one of those people that nitpick all oh, the Great Wall, again, this is a fantasy. <laughs> it's not meant for you to go, well, historically, the wall doesn't look that way. No. Who cares? <laughs> you know, it's a legend. <laughs> let, yeah. let them go. I, I thought the color aspect was phenomenal, especially with the wardrobe, and you can definitely tell like which faction was which and like what their purpose was. was. Um, like the women were in blue, and the archers were in red, and you know yeah. like, all the things. I, I liked the color distinction, yeah. especially in like a foggy, desaturated atmosphere that they were in. They really stood out. Well, I have a whole breakdown of all the sex, but I, it also should be known since we're talking about the Great Wall that they actually used. 200,000 bricks on our exterior Great Wall sets. <laughs> like, talk about Legos. <laughs> like, seriously. Uh, they made it a little wider than it would have been normally. Okay. Most important thing was we hollowed the wall out, very much like an aircraft carrier wall had several levels, each with different weaponry that is used throughout the, the, the movie. Uh, all the weapons are hidden in the wall. Um, you know, and I just love that the wall itself became functional in a character within a you know within this movie. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a lot I, of fun. I, I like how they thought about it. Oftentimes, what ends up happening, right? You sort of imagine if they built because you could build an exterior set and you could make it a little bit thinner and whatever, and you make it a little smaller and save yourself money that way. And then you like kind of go underneath and boom, it looks cavernous, and you're like, wait, the two don't match up. Uh, so they, I like how they stayed authentic to both exterior and interior and made that work. Yeah, the largest section stretched almost 500 feet, curving through a quote-unquote canyon of exactly 293 shipping containers, 40 feet long, 8 feet wide, 8.6 feet high, assembled 5 high. <laughs> so that, again, it, 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 it really, big. it's big. <laughs> It's big. It's the way that they used to make sets. And uh, it is all on screen. It's all on screen. Absolutely. I think, it's, uh, I think that that was uh, amazing. Um, yeah. And, you know, to, what I loved about it, Mercy made the notion of the costuming. Uh, I love, because the, to me, what I love, the marriage of the costumes, the action, and also the camera, right? Because mm-hmm. what I loved was the camera. At no point could I tell if it was ever handheld because it didn't look like it. It was always on a dolly, on a jib, um, something. It had movement and a very, you know, uh, strategic movement. Um, and I appreciated that. And for the most part, I think the camera never stopped. From yeah. what I remember. Oh, yeah, agreed. I, I thought it looked beautiful. And you know, they filmed on an Ari Alexa 65. Um, the, yeah, uh, I completely agree with the, the motions because they're, you definitely got the scope of how big. The world was in that universe that they were in. Absolutely, like, um, you got the whole wall, and then even when they're close, close in, like 
close proximities on the wall. Um, you, you got the grand scale of everything. And even, you know, tracking the women who are plunging literally down yes. to their deaths. You, <laughs> you followed that, but in yeah. a very graceful, liquid-like state. Yeah, it was very Cirque du Soleil. It was, it was pretty but it, but it to watch. And not once was I felt nauseous like it did in, like, lower-budget movies like Moonlight. <laughs> well, uh, but I'll, I'll even go on to say that the action in this movie, you were able to see it all unfold. You know, it wasn't quick cuts. You know, we saw the things happen in their different stages. So I really appreciated that, you know, in this movie as well. Um, We can talk about the five regiments of, of, um, you know, of of the people on the wall, so to speak. Um, The Nameless Order, um, the the Eagle Corps. Those were the the Eagle Corps. They were the folks dressed in red, and they're the archers. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they were able to use uh, handheld crossbows, but special supersized repeating crossbows, uh, which is sort of cool. And they're described; they're the mid-range troop. Then you had the Tiger Corps of Engineers, so which is very interesting because you know most military factions has a corps of engineers who got to fix things. Even Starfleet has a corps of engineers. And they're dressed in gold and design and work on the machinery, the artillery, obviously. And um, they generate all the power to operate all the weapons. So then you had the Bear Corps, which Mm -hmm. you uh, mentioned earlier, uh, the beginning of the movie. And they're the close quarter fighters. Um, they, they, They basically, we portray, they're like a suicide force. They're the fiercest, but also their attrition rate is the highest. I would figure the people jumping off <laughs> the spears might be the highest, but... That's the crane troop. Um, so, uh, they're cool. Then you have the Deer Corps, or cavalry. They're the cavalry, uh, your, your infantry force, and they're the last line of defense um, for the wall. Uh, so, then uh, the more interesting corps, the final one are the cranes, and they're the ones dressed in blue. And those are the ones that, the, the reason they're dressed in blue is that it acts as a camouflage for them because they're coming out of the sky, so to speak. Now, I didn't realize uh-huh. that, but I guess that it makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> it would have been, yeah, I, I guess. It would have been it, nice to, if to, they showed that. Yeah, more. to see yeah. a little bit like, wait, where are they? And then, boom. Boom. Yeah, there right. you are. Well, yeah. Their work of what we call the flying rig, which was uh, something that we designed specifically for the movie. They were tethered. They dive like birds with long spears after their prey. Um, so I appreciated that it had all these cores. And that's the, the other cool thing about it is that each of them had such a distinct look. Mm-hmm. Or I might not have known the names, but you could tell. Oh well, she's wearing blue. This is that part. That part. It was very smart. Other than because sometimes they're all wearing the same uniform. No, you know, and you don't. Yeah, you can't it tell who's who. Wouldn't work. There were far too many people in this. You know, to figure that out. And I'm not going to be looking for stripes on a sleeve to see, you know, what you're doing. So the costuming I thought was really, it it's was pretty it was beautiful. To look at. Yeah, it was good. Can I ask, did any of you see this movie in 3D? No. Was it no? Uh, it looks spectacular. I'm sure it did. I'm sure it did. Um, I just did not get a chance to, unfortunately. You blew it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, speaking of, again, we talk about the sort of multi ethnic side of all this, um, and and you had mentioned um, the composer, but he's German. Right. Right? So, you would figure, like, okay, they would go with someone, I don't know. 
either Chinese. someone like a Chinese or like someone like a Hans Zimmer, you know, right. like like someone who's sort of more, I don't know, for lack of a better term, known in Hollywood. But I mean, not that this guy, the fact that he's doing Game of Thrones, Pacific Rim, and all those, he's he he's does sort a lot. Of, he's done a lot. Um, but again, just interesting that that he's German of all things. Yeah, he does a lot. Um, I think another. You know, the music, okay, when you mentioned the music, another cool aspect of this movie was the source music, so to speak. The music that was in the the pounding of those drums. Ah, oh, that was so awesome. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Like, that I thought awesome. that was so cool. And the fact that they had, like, the, different types of, you know, uh, whatever beats. Yeah. When, like, it, for a different call, I thought it was great. Yeah. And I thought, uh, and again, another great way to show the actual Chinese culture. Sure. Yeah. Because I, that's what they did. And those scenes were great. And I gotta tell you, do. too, they looked amazing in, like, 3D and the way that they were banging those drums for the various battle calls or what you're mm-hmm. going to do, that it, 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 it cool. looked great. And again, it's parts like that that I go, how can you not appreciate this? And how can you not at least have, like, you know, forgive forgive this movie its flaws, but pick on other movies whose flaws are even as glaring. But, but this one, I don't get it. I, to me, this had plenty to look at that I was like, that that was cool. And it sounded, sounded so awesome in the theater I was in, you know? Yeah. It was great. I, I absolutely agree. Um, anything other production-wise that you guys want to talk about? Um, well, yeah, a little bit more about the music because, I mean, yeah, we had ramen, but also the, the Chinese were very heavily involved in the music. Um, there was a Chinese pop diva, Jane Zhang, released yes, right. in, uh, a song called Battlefield that helped promote this film, and then there was another Chinese artist who prom- helped promote another song for this film, so... Yeah, we got. And there was a collaboration we, one too. Yeah, right? we we got the composer who's yeah German, but we also have like actual pop culture Chinese artists mm-hmm. also promoting it on their end for this film. So. Well, I wanted to talk too a little bit more about the costuming because when you think about it, again they were going for practicality other than digital, you know, putting people in there digitally. So Mays Rubio. Um, who worked on, you know, a movie like Avatar, uh, Apocalypto. Um, she designed costumes and wardrobe for, like, hundreds upon hundreds of extras for, like, an entire army. And they're in full battle gear. And each one had to be so color-faceted, like, they, they, yeah, so, so rooted in the color. You know, and she was working with a staff of six dozen craftspeople, each one had specific tasks in the strategic military functions of defending the wall. These are the characters. And it was challenging to make those costumes because each one had to be very specific as each corps had a different rank and responsibility. Um, each set of armor had about 18 elements to it, which is pretty cool, including typical pieces such as the helmet, the, the plate armor for the sole, you know, for the shoulders, uh, the, van, the plate armor for the forearm, forearm. You know, I think that that's crazy. Um, that and she did this for a ton of people. She and her team fabricated everything at the China's Barong factory, a place familiar with uh, Zhang's past work. Um, the talented team took virtually over the entire factory, given that she spent months making 863 hero and stunt double costumes for the film's 40 key speaking roles. Uh, in total, more than 10,000 costume pieces, 
13,140 to be exact. <laughs> okay. For the key cast. That was for the key cast. Okay. And the 500 extras who played warriors in the five regiments of the Nameless Order. <laughs> That's crazy. That's a lot of That's costume. crazy. I wish we had uh, our friend uh, from Triple X here to talk about <laughs> that. Like, you know, because that, that that's crazy. That's a lot of costuming. Dimitri's talking about Kim. Uh, Kim, yeah. Kim, who was the costume designer for that. Yeah, it would have been great to have, like, just to talk. That's a lot of people. <laughs> that's a lot of, you know, segments of costumes. And they were great, though. You know, and I felt... Nobody said that they were outside of the time period, but they looked organic to this movie. Mm-hmm. They fit right. Into yep, it. I couldn't tell. They look they look fantastic. Yeah, um, absolutely. And Mercy, you had something to add that you also want to talk about. You want to talk about music, right? Add on to music. Oh yeah, not that was it. Um, the the fact that we had you know big Chinese artists promoting songs, let alone the actual composer. So it was just a you know a teamwork, team effort of just music in general and I, I think you know I was listening to the the soundtrack earlier today and there's beautiful composed music but that also ha- is like underlined with the mandolin and like mm-hmm. all these actual Chinese instruments that's actually true to the music yeah. um, in the Chinese culture and I think it was a nice perfect blend of contemporary music to the actual historical ac- historically yeah. accurate type of music yeah yeah, we um, if we can too, we should talk a little bit about the monsters of this movie. You're right. You know, You're right. I mean, you know, the Tao T, um, you know, and like just a little bit of background. Like they 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 weren't a creation for the movie, which I thought they were. Um, so I found it very interesting that you know they are actual part of Chinese mythology. Um, <clears throat> the dragon had nine sons, and one of them was the. Taoti. Now they spell it a little bit different in the Chinese. It's one word, as in this movie, it's two. The creature was known for having a voracious appetite and is scattered throughout Chinese culture. It's never been realized in this form before in a film. And the one thing that made it stand out two two things for me were the eyes and where the eyes were placed, because the eyes were more or less on what I guess one might consider the shoulders. Sort or of, like, kind of like they weren't on the wider head. part. Yeah, they were like they were, where they would <clears throat> be, where gills would be on like animals. Right. Or like they were misplaced. Yeah, like, and and the way in which they communicated, which was with the vibration of their gills. Yeah, the gills. It <laughs> just looked like yeah, gills. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that I had, you know I hadn't seen before. Now this I didn't. There were three different types of Tauti in in the movie. There's the drone. They're the foot soldier. They're the first wave, the scouts. Um, as uh, they were grisly sized and muscular, <laughs> they were pretty big. The paladins are the queen's imperial guards. They're twice as are that they had. Oh, the armor plating too was sort of kind of cool. Yeah, it looked like the shield, like the uh, same yeah. shields that the Nameless Order had. Right, <clears throat> it was similar to that. And then there's the queen as the mastermind. Uh, controlling the the Tauti army. Without her, they become mindless cannibals. So, huge, dark, translucent skin. Um, I just really thought that the filming, like how they were filmed was really cool. And even though there was a familiarity, like I said, 
Could it come from Avatar? Could it come from like Pitch Black? But they still had a uniqueness about them. Uh, mostly, I think too is the, in the way they communicated. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, because it was what and whatnot remind me of in the in the Two Towers. Remember when they're on the planes, like those little yes. beasts. Mm-hmm. So I think they borrowed a little bit from that. Is what it reminded me most of. Right. So, but hey, I can't criticize them too much. No. <laughs> Go with what you know. Yeah. And then. Um, the other thing that was sort of cool too was uh, Matt Damon learning, uh, learning how to shoot a bow and arrow. He did. I thought that that was he spent a lot of time learning in Hungary. I like how yeah. the bow and arrows like becoming a popular thing again, <laughs> thanks to film. You know? Yeah, I mean it's like the bow and arrow is a formidable weapon, and I yep. love how it's making it. Ma- it's kind of mainstream again. Yeah, and and there's actually um, there's a. I guess there's something called, like, quick shot, or there, there's, like, you know, the, the, the way that Legolas ah. was, like, shooting a bow and arrow, but um, there's a gentleman by the name of, uh, let's see if I can find, Lashos Kasi, and he was the one that, that trained uh, Matt Damon onto doing it and how to, how to hold, how to hold multiple arrows in a hand to shoot them off. You know, because that scene in the great feeding hall, the, the, you know, the great hall, that, great. that was sort of a cool scene, you know? That was like, uh, okay. Do the cup trick. <laughs> yeah. Let's do the cup trick. The cup trick? Not that again. <laughs> uh, let's do the cup trick. Well, turn around. You sure you want me to? T- yes, just do it that way. It was really, it was a good scene. It, it was, was a good scene that establishes them. I thought so. they had like some of the best editing too, where like everyone True. was just amazing, and then they cut to him just yawning like it. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, speed archery is what that's speed called. Archery. Speed archery. So uh, that was cool, and he did put a lot of hours into learning how to do that. So uh, he looked natural at holding one. So yeah, you give him credit. I like the evolution of the weapon as well <clears throat> because sure. uh, even when he like we had the spears, and they even made the. Um, you know, the metaphor for whaling. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah, and yeah. the fact that they use spears to get a hold of the Tauti. And when he's down there on the ground and they have the different type of arrows, so you can hear the arrows coming and you can yeah. hear where the danger is lurking from. I thought that was brilliant. I did not know I saw that coming. I've, well, I've, again, really cool plot device. Uh, I forget what they were called, like whistlers or something. Yeah, but what a great idea. Like, He's like, brilliant. You know they're not going to kill them, but at least now, if they're in the fog, they can at least hear they're coming. Yeah. That was really, you know, again, good idea. Smart. Absolutely. I agree, and I like how he he made his own bow and arrow. Yeah. He was like, okay, I'm not having this now. I need need an actual bow and arrow. And And, and and did you you know that there were 20,000? We passed the 20,000 mark in the number of props manufactured for this movie. That encompass swords, knives, spirits, bowls, goblets, furniture. <laughs> that is a again a lot. Twenty thousand pieces of and, props. And in like an hour and forty five minute yeah. movie. That's a lot. Like Lord of the Rings didn't use that many. They made over a thousand pieces of pottery for the dining sequence. Like yeah. literal a thousand pieces of workable pottery. Hey, at least it's it's usable for later. Yeah, sure. It's a great collectible. (laughs) Hey, yeah. Why not? It's great for cup tricks. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Um, Well, should we head into reception? Sure. Um, So I know we kind of touched upon it, but as as we mentioned a bit earlier, 
Um, 36% on Rotten Tomatoes, according to what I have at, at this point in time, based off 143 reviews. Uh, reading, for, for a film featuring Matt Damon and Willem Dafoe battling ancient monsters, The Great Wall is neither as exciting nor as entertaining bonkers as one might hope. I That's disagree. really unfortunate. I disagree. I disagree. I don't know. I just... I, I don't know. Again, I, I, I blame the marketing for this. More than anything, I'm. I have a new theory. What's the new? <clears throat> I have a new theory that a lot of criticism today. It's it's. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dub it extreme criticism, being that movies have to be either really good or they just suck. Like there doesn't like the middle ground kind of good movie. It seems to be going like seems to be going away. You, when you look at Rotten Tomatoes, and you can go on there, and do this for yourself, try to take a peek at movies that are getting high 80s to 90s, and then low 40s and below, okay? And then try to suss out how many of them are in the 80, in the lower 80s, the 75, the 65 percentile, and there's not a lot. Movies, critics are either saying, like, movies have to be great, or they just suck if they're not great. And I was looking at this because there were two movies. You know, we're going to talk about another one a little bit later. Same thing was going on. But this movie, to me, where it may not be in the 90, 90 percentile, 75, 80, 85. I'll take totally, 60. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it should be there for sure. It's not so bad a movie. And I've seen bad movies. We've talked about a couple of bad movies this year, and this one didn't even come close to making me angry. We have to... And I do think, too, that that Rotten Tomatoes itself might have to change or tweak their metrics because sometimes if you're on Rotten Tomatoes, read the review. Read the review if it says either fresh and or rotten, and sometimes you read the review and you go, wait, that really isn't a fresh review, or wait, that's not really a rotten review. We Something needs to be metered out better. And I, and, and I think, too, because people don't read reviews anymore as much. No, I don't want to blanket everybody. Number. They look at a number. They, they go into Metacritic. Rotten Tomatoes isn't the only one guilty of this. Don't get me wrong. But I think as a society, because we want information at our fingertips like this, people aren't actually reading reviews. So that, I think, hurts because in many cases, people will just go onto a Rotten Tomatoes on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday of an opening weekend. And they'll look at Great Wall and they'll see 35% that's going to turn them away from going to the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you agree? And I and I think uh, it's, I agree because most of, I mean mo- most of the apps that you buy tickets they come with it right there of right. Like what the movie's rated, which I think is a terrible idea if you're trying to sell tickets. But that's not. But it's it's there. Right. But like even the cin- cinema scores like a B, which is kind of average for. But but I will take a the, B over a thirty five percent. Thirty five percent is F. 
Like that's bad. That yeah, that is bad. certified rotten. Like I would like I would grade this movie a B, maybe a B plus, but I would grade it like to me the cinema score, this is one time where cinema score was sort of kind of on par, but I would take a B because it means the movie is at least good. But since people I think as critics too, you're not understanding we're we're not seeing that this does have an impact on the business. Okay, I mean, they're already griping about ticket sales and the movie business is going down. We're going to shorten our DVD or our home theatrical window. Well, when you have a Rotten Tomatoes that puts a 36 percent because critics are not liking it a lot, when it's not deserving of the praise, it hurts the business because people are not reading reviews fully. And they'll just look at a number and say, I'm not going to go see this. No. I might not go to the movies at all this weekend. I mean, I think, yeah, and I, I also think so. Oh, sorry, I, I also think the whitewashing might have like taken effect on the score as well, which is unfortunate. I mean, it doesn't deserve that. <clears throat> I think. I also think it, it. You know, off your point, Dimitri, it works in two ways. I think it's a greater issue in terms of news. Something either has to be the best something or the worst something. You know, and there's just too much hyperbole in one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Like that's the worst deal in the history. Is it? Whatever the fuck the deal is. Right. Yeah. Um, so it just but, it's either the best. It has to be the best or it has to be the worst. And but, I think it, 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 news just works in that way. Yeah. And, but, but let me, you know, you know, there are people's careers like who never would have gotten a start today. People like Chuck Norris. He wasn't making great movies like, you know, missing in action. It's a good movie at best. It's not a great action. It's not a great movie. Not compared to what was out there. It's definitely not like a first blood, right? Jean-Claude Van Damme? Like, they were making B action movies, but they cut their teeth on that, and then they became bigger stars because they were in movies that people saw, but they were good movies, but they're not great movies. So what's wrong with the good movie? What's wrong with... What's wrong? Like, we should be lucky to go to a good movie and have fun and walk out and say, yeah, the movie was flawed. Let me ask you, I'm going to throw this out to you, too. How many times you have conversations outside of here and you go, oh, how was that movie? And the conversation, the follow-up to that conversation was, well, the movie wasn't great. Okay. To me, the inherent flaw in that statement is, well, why does it have to be great? Every movie doesn't have to be great. Like, you could just say, you know, it was a good movie. There are a couple of issues, but all in all, I walked out, had a good time. Why does that statement have to start? Well, the movie, it's not a great movie, but it's this. Right off the bat, you're just saying, you're already knocking it down a few pegs. I think as critics, there needs to be a little bit more responsibility, too, because as critics, you don't want to see this this industry evaporate either, because then you're not going to have a job. Yeah. You won't be able to talk about movies because they'll go away. And and so, I don't know. 35 seems to be extremely low on this. Um, in my initial notes, now the production budget was $150 million production budget. So they were topping close to $100, uh, $200 million for this. But catch this. So it was a universal release, right? Foreign, okay, the domestic thus far as of February 22nd, it's not even at 25 million, it's 24.6. Okay, foreign though, do you realize foreign 
$245 million? That's 90% of the box office. So worldwide, this movie has brought in over $270 million. So, well, to be fair, right? We also we kind of, we, a couple of couple of factors there. Number one, it's been out in the Chinese market way longer since yeah. December. Um, I, I get that it's. I doubt that it's going to equal in America anytime we're no, close I, to that. Um, and the interesting part, you know, to, to counter that argument, um, it has yet to open in Brazil, Italy, and a few other countries. Yeah, which will also help rise that number. Sure. So. Yeah. You know, but it sh- I'm not saying that it should do $240 million in the States at the end of its run, but it certainly deserves a hell of a lot better than its opening weekend of $18 plus million. Yeah, you know, I would have mentioned $80 million, I think, could have been a decent number yeah, at it. That's doable. Not yeah. saying that, just it all in. All, all sure. in in terms of its full American run, let's yeah. say. And when you couple that in, but but again, if you're looking at Rotten Tomatoes, if you're not reading reviews on this and you're looking at Rotten Tomatoes and you're trying to decide what to see, you see 35, 34, 36%. You're going, ugh, that's not a good reviewed movie. Even though it does have Matt Damon in it, who's very likable as an actor as a whole. You know? So I think there's there, there's so much happening going on. There's got to be a reason why it did $245 million. They're not. They're not necessarily smarter than we are. Like I, you know, and I'm not disparaging them, but I don't. They obviously liked it a hell of a lot better than we did here in the states. It's well, critics didn't necessarily like it. I mean, um, interestingly enough, it got interest. Like the People's Daily, um, you know, had. Uh, sorry, hold on. On uh, these names are a little bit tougher. Um, the Hawaiian. <laughs> um, which is a movie aggregator in in China, it gave it um, 4.9 out of 10. So a little bit better, but not all that great. Um, and then... D- 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 the Dubon, that's almost a 5. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Dubon gave it a, a 4.5. Or, sorry, 5.4. Yeah. I'm turning into Marissa, getting numbers mixed <laughs> up. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> uh, you but know, that's yeah, that's better but, than but, average. But fans liked it there, and obviously yeah. they, regardless of what critics said, there uh, people went to go see the movie. Yeah. So um, I think that's a big obviously. But yeah, big and difference. like it makes sense that it's doing better in China because again, it doesn't show the Chinese in a terrible light. It actually no. shows their culture in a very positive way. I think so. So there's nothing to disparage against like their their beliefs their legends their stories and just the way that the culture is okay yeah but here's the thing right we t- we've been throwing out the word whitewashing fuck all you assholes who want more diversity in fucking movies and then don't go see a movie like this and criticize it for like fucking get yeah. the fuck out of here no I'm with you because you piece of crap yeah because you're not supporting something that that's not terrible that showcases a good coming together of fantastic collaboration and you're seeing some you know you're seeing good cinema you're gonna watch a quick watch like you you know there's there's pieces of shit that are like three hours long what the fuck is that hey we saw a movie not too long ago that was 90 minutes that felt like three hours very true I'll say Jackie (laughs) (laughs) okay Mm. I can jerk off and make better art than Jackie (laughs) well there you go that's how Strong life feels. Sorry. Yeah. Now you made me angry. Yeah. Well, Fuck off, people. Yeah, I just think Agreed. that this movie deserved a better fate. 
Uh, all things Josh, considered. make sure to mark this as explicit. <laughs> Please. Oh well, my. but like, I'm glad, despite what people are saying about it, I'm glad that this movie still, in a way, is very successful. <clears throat> yes. Yes, I yep. think the numbers speak well for itself, despite what people are saying about it. It still became a successful film. Yeah, but yeah. I just again, all all the critics that say they're liberal and they're all inclusive, fuck off. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. That's all I have to say. You should have a movie that that showcases that. Listen, Universal, you you know, Universal Foreign is very happy. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Like, they're they're really happy. happy. China's very happy in their sales. You know, domestic sales, you know, not so much. But, you know, this movie is far better than the 35%, folks. I'm just telling you right now, 75, 80%. Like, if I were rating this on on five stars, I'd be giving it three and a half. Um, Not not a bad thing if I was going forward. Definitely, it's a two and a half movie. It's not... No, it's not great, folks. It has flaws, like I said, on top. But, you know, you're going to come out. You might go see it as a date. You're going to come out and go, it was pretty good. I had my good popcorn. Movie's pretty good. I enjoyed Visually, it. Yeah, it was Visually, a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's a lot of fun. And, and so, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it, 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 I don't know how much it will continue. But if you like Matt Damon, you're not going to hate him in this movie. And you know what? You're going to see something fresh. You're going to see fresh faces up on the screen. That's not going to take you out of the movie because you're going to go, oh, oh, oh. There's a there's another movie star. You're going to get embroiled in a in a fun story. Um, so I, you know. I don't know what to tell you. Well, now that I've said every explicit in the English dictionary, (laughs) why don't we wrap this up? Um, Thank you guys for watching us. Let us know your thoughts and opinions. Um, Do you side with us? Do do you just honestly hate it? Or, you know, where are you? I don't know. Let us know. I'm very curious on this one. I I think it's far more deserving. You know what? And I'll just go ahead and say, I would even. This is a better movie than La La Land, you jackoffs. Yeah, it was. You know and was I fun. agree with that, actually. And I, I love fun. musicals. Yeah. I, yeah, I it's, agree with that. I've been thinking, trying to think of the movie, the sort of Reign of Fire with Matthew McConaughey. Oh, and Dragons? And Dragons. <laughs> and well, dragons. you know, well, that's what they sort of. Like, again, this is or where is I think the marketing was. Ring of Fire? Ring of Fire. Yeah, Rain of, yeah one of the, those. The Dragon movie. I. In the trailers and marketing on this, I thought they might be fighting a dragon. dragon yeah, but no. that never happened, too. So Universal Marketing, to your mm-hmm. point, Phil, may have uh, not been on point this time out. No, no, definitely not. Um, at DMovies1701. Yeah, please support me. Another, another, <laughs> I think another bot followed me this morning. I said, what the hell is this? <laughs> but go. that's okay. Wow. At Serafini TV. That's right. And uh, I have a brand new website, philsvita.com. You can literally go there, contact me with all your hate mail, thanks to my angered, empowered speech. <laughs> um, we'll be doing Fist Fight soon. Um, we've got our Oscar predictions special uh, for you, so definitely check that out. And um, next week uh, we're doing... What are we doing next Get week? Get out! Get out! That should be a fun <laughs> one. Uh, Key and Peele. Um, well... Jordan. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm sad that they're not quite doing it together, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, and tons of movies coming out. Beauty and the Beast, uh, Black Panther, so many great movies coming out. Uh, Kong, Skull Island, that's coming out. We mentioned that. I'm sort of looking forward to that. Yeah, Am I like the only one that looks like that movie could be fun? And we did Pacific Rim, which was our first one. Yeah. So, so we'll find out. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Until next time. Bye. Bye. 
from producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the rest of the Anatomy of a Movie staff. We would like to thank you for listening and subscribing to the show. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email or tweet us. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been Anatomy of a Movie.